This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. One of the things you've probably picked up on in life, I want to begin with this morning, is that little cycle that your thoughts seem to affect your actions and your actions in turn affect your thoughts, right? We've all noticed this at times, that what we believe and what we think and what we feel tends to affect what we say and what we do and what we listen to, and then the cycle starts all over again. But then we have these little moments along the way in that cycle that can put a little chip in our confidence, uh, a little dent that can say all kinds of things about us. Don't we have those? A while back, I came across a story, an interesting example with this, uh, with an elephant, an elephant. Did you know that in Thailand, they have competitions uh, where they pit one adult male elephant against 100 men in a game of tug and war, tug of war. And do you know who wins? The elephant. Every time, every time, hands down, the elephant wins. Thousands of pounds of weight, thousands of pounds of pulling power, and the elephant just plows right through it. It's amazing. It's amazing to watch. You got to go on YouTube, you know, check it out. Um, (laughs) But that same elephant can have a little half-inch rope and a wooden peg nailed into the ground and be completely unable to pull it out completely unable to go anywhere. It's because as a baby calf, that elephant has been trained when it was that young, when it couldn't pull out that stake, that it can't pull out that stake. And so thousands upon thousands of pounds of pulling power is rendered useless against one mental shackle. One. And in your life, my life, we can have something that's put a dent in our confidence, just like the elephant. We can have dents in our confidence. We can see how a a little chip in our thoughts can affect our actions. And the message of those dings and dents, they could be anything, right? They're not just about pulling up wooden stakes, okay? Some of us experience this when we walk through the Bayshore Mall, we feel the dings and dents that we've picked up along the way in our confidence that make us feel like we need something more. We need to be wearing something else. And on our own, we need to be getting something else. And if we're not careful, that way of thinking, it will put a little mental shackle on us. Specifically, probably on your wallet, guys. Now, you may experience this same issue, though, uh, in an argument, some kind of disagreement. Uh, If it presses on one of those dents, one of those chips enough where you feel that pressure on your confidence. And so you just want to relieve that pressure. And so some of us, we just give up, right? Like the elephant, you know, we just give up. And we do that enough times, it starts to create a tradition that just says, it's just not worth it. We We just don't argue about this stuff, right? 
Others of us, it had the opposite effect, right? You have to be right. You have to have all the right answers because there's a ding in your confidence. And every time that you feel it pressing on you, you just go there. You have to make sure that there's no question mark on your confidence. But any of these pressures on our thinking, your thinking, they can have dramatic effects. They can affect and erode, effectively erode our confidence. And this is something that all of us experience at one point or another. Nobody gets excluded. It doesn't matter how insulated you might be, eventually you will have to deal with the prevailing winds of our day and life to push back and try to chip and dent and pressure you. And specifically, as a Christian, how do we deal with those pressures, the chips, the dents in our confidence, in our faith that we encounter every day? They're dressed up like offers of acceptance, of security, of real intelligence, maybe real spirituality, and more. This morning, I want to dive into this issue. I want us to look at it from a passage of Scripture that underscores uh, for us as Christians our source of confidence in the face of all these different kinds of pressures, uh, from all these different ways of thinking and traditions that are different, that are filled with all types of promises. And I want us to look at it this morning from Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. Now, in many ways... Very little has changed uh, from the context that this passage was penned in over 2,000 years ago, almost 2,000 years ago. Uh, if you imagine, uh, if you were one of the, the Christians, one of the early Christians that first received this letter, imagine the context that you would have lived in when you got this letter. Uh, for you, uh, you would have maybe felt as if your faith was pretty new. Uh, Christianity might have felt as if it was brand new compared to the claims of the Greek traditions. Additionally, some of the things that the early Christians were doing in that day and time, they would have flown in the face of how to be financially successful in a trade city like Colossae. And certainly, those early saints, hearing this letter, they would have been well aware of all the Greek and the Roman gods with their inspiring temples that were in Colossae. Around every corner, you'd find another one. And they were uh, filled with all kinds of art and statues depicting that god's success. And there you were on your way to the house church. You might have felt intimidated. They would have also been confronted with all kinds of philosophies of that day as a trade city. They would have been extolled with famous names from centers of thought like Athens. And with the extremely promiscuous culture of the ancient world, sexual temptations would have bombarded the saints from every corner. As I said, not much has changed in 2,000 years. And it's into that environment of pressure and erosion with all those prevailing winds that the Apostle Paul penned the words that we have here. Verse 6 of chapter 2. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. 
See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits, or as your translation might say, the basic principles or forces of this world, and not according to Christ. A couple of questions here. Notice the Apostle Paul's call on Christians in the face of pressure to be what? To be rooted. In what way? In their belief about Jesus. What were they to be rooted against? Empty deceit. A mental shackle. A lie. Now, let me make sure I'm clear here with this passage. The Apostle Paul in the Bible, it's not against all philosophy. It's not against all tradition, right? It's against ones that are built on a lie. Ones that are built on empty deceit. And it's the same lie it's always been, by the way, that you need something more. You need something else. You need someone more. You need someone else that Jesus alone isn't enough. And Paul's deep concern for this church, for us, is that we might be taken captive by that kind of a lie. And so he goes on with his reasoning in verse 9. He says, for, all right, so here's the reason, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Whew, okay, no knives necessary, guys. Instead, it was by putting off the body of the flesh, sin, by the circumcision of Christ. In other words, this is something that Jesus did. And he goes on, verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you were also dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh. And God made alive together with him, having forgiven a couple of our trespasses. So what it says? No. What does it say? It says, all of our trespasses. You gotta, you gotta watch out. You know, I can fill in anything I want here. So by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Christ. So then Paul's reasoning here, Paul's reasoning. Why should a Christian be rooted against this lie? It's because of the gospel. It's because of who Jesus is and what he's done for you personally. It's why at least nine times Paul comes back to the same idea of in him, in him, walk in him, in the fullness of deity dwells bodily, be filled in him. You were circumcised in him, baptized in him, buried with him, raised with him, made alive with him. We triumph in him. Friends, it's not just the ideas and the doctrines of the gospel. It's that Christ personally has changed your life. He's forgiven all your sins. It was your record. It was personal. And it's our record <laughs> that Jesus has wiped clean. And so, they were to be rooted. And his point, 
For those of us who have, been, who have personally trusted in Jesus, we know that in Christ, our confidence is complete. In Christ, our confidence is complete. Why? Because in Christ, my confidence is not in what I have done or found for myself, but it's in what has been done for me. It's in who I'm with. That's a gospel confidence, friends. And ultimately, my confidence isn't centered then on me. It's, found, it's not found in the clothes that I wear. It's not found in how often I'm right or I'm wrong, but on him. And consider how this confidence of being rooted and established in Christ, it affects the way that we think. We know that our self-confidence is not enough. Doesn't matter how many self-confidence books you read. It will never be enough. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, we get to freely admit it. We get to freely admit it. We're not good enough, and that's okay, because we're with him. We're with the one who is more than enough for us, who makes us complete. And this, by the way, is our source of confidence when it comes to our beliefs, too. We know him personally, and so we accept the witness of his word, and so we can see clearly evidence for him from every aspect of history and philosophy and science and every other field. It's why the believer can look at the world around them, at the hand and the eye and the universe and the evidence of history and see evidence for their creator. It's because of Jesus' work in their life. Friends, Christ can be your source of confidence in every situation, in every arena. C.S. Lewis once penned, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Friends in Christ, our confidence is complete. In him, you are rooted, built up, established, and able to hold up against any pressure. And that's great news. That's great news for our thinking and for everything else in our life. A couple years ago, I saw um, an example of this play out in my life in a bit of a unique way. I, uh, it was one evening uh, that I came across a philosophical argument uh, to our faith that I had never heard before. Uh, I had, I, you know, I've been to a tremendous school. I was a pastor. I've been at this for a while, you know. And so I came across this argument that I never heard before, and it really surprised me. That, that, it kind of shook me. As I'm, you know, going through this and hearing it and thinking about the implications of it. And about an hour after uh, hearing this, uh, and honestly, I made no progress on getting any kind of a handle, laying a glove on this argument, this idea that I was being handed. And, um, and yet my response, after about an hour, thankfully, was to pray. Was to get on my knees next to my bed and to pray. See, because even though I wasn't sure how to handle this argument, I know Jesus personally. My confidence is in him. And so I took the problem to him. And let me tell you, it was six months before I had figured out a solution to that argument, before I was able to resolve it. But what if, what if my confidence, what if my faith 
was put on hold until I could resolve it? What if it took me six months of lying with my faith undone to resolve this? And what would that say? What would that say about my confidence? What would it say about where my faith was rooted? I think the answer to that starts to shed some light on what it looks like to be a captive to some other way of thinking described in verse 8. And then we can start to see what happens to a captive here. What happens to the captives in verse 8? Friends, where we turn in the face of pressure says a lot about where we draw our confidence from. It says something about where our, some of our roots are. And I don't know what way of thinking or what tradition, what force might be pressing on your confidence, but if we're living in a way where we don't turn to Christ as our first response, or if we are continuously undone by the chips and dents in our confidence, then I want to lovingly encourage you to wake up and to realize that at least in that moment, and probably in many others, you are not being rooted, grounded, and established in the faith. That your confidence is being captivated by something or someone other than Christ. That's what verse 8 is about. Look back at it with me. See to it. This is your responsibility. This is a command. That no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of our world, and not according to Christ. Friends, the thinking of your mind can hold you captive to all kinds of lies. Or as it said in the text, empty deceit. There's an old saying that I think sums this up well, that sin, deceit, will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than what you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. The Apostle Paul will go on in the next portion of this chapter. He's going to list several examples of what can happen because of a Christian's thinking fallen captive. And he lists several examples. Here's a couple of them. One, an obsession about what you eat, drink, and your body. An obsession about what you're eating, what you're drinking, and your body. Number two, treating your body with harshness. Number three, being prideful and wrapped in your own thinking or in legalism. Four, having a false spirituality by being obsessed with visions or worshiping angels. And then the fifth one, letting fear of other people's judging you determine your priorities instead of Christ. Letting the fear of other people's judgment determine your priorities. Let's be honest here. Being a captive to a lie that's resulted maybe in one of these, but maybe in something else, it's not too hard to imagine. It's not too hard to imagine because every last one of us have been captives and at times still fall captive to false thinking. And I would bet that with great sadness, we can probably remember or currently know a 
friend or a relative that allowed themselves to be captive long enough to ruin their life. We watched as that chip in their confidence grew into captivity. We watched in sadness as they pushed away godly influences, as they pushed away godly commitments and habits, and as they eventually pushed away Jesus altogether. We saw it. The mind is a powerful force. And if we fall captive to the mental shackles of empty philosophies and traditions, there's little surprise when the result is an empty life. And that's not what Christ wants for any of us. That's not his plan. And that's why it's so important that we guard against being taken captive by other ways of thinking. And instead, we continue with Christ and grow in our confidence of him so that we can avoid being a captive. Let's look at that closer. How do we avoid being a captive? How can we instead, as verse 6 describes, be rooted, built up, in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Well, the best way to avoid being deceived by a counterfeit is being joyfully familiar with the genuine. By being joyfully familiar with the genuine. It's like Cheerios. Yes, Cheerios. My family and I were, were all these shoppers. And if you know anything about the Aldi grocery store, okay, you know that they are the king of the off-brand products, right? Who's an Aldi shopper? No, no, don't, don't raise your hand. It's okay. And in my opinion, the one product they can never get right is the Cheerios. You ever had the Cheerios from Aldi? They taste like styrofoam and milk, you know? It's just, it's horrible. But you wouldn't know that if you didn't know what the original was, if you didn't like the original to begin with, you wouldn't know the difference. Paul's encouragement here is to watch out for the off-brands, to continue in the faith just as you were taught. Don't let anyone deceive you into thinking that you need something else. And what is that faith that we were taught to continue in? It's the basic truths of the gospel of the gospel message detailed in verses 9 through 15 here, that Christ, the Son of God, has paid for and forgiven all of our sins through his death, burial, and resurrection, triumphing over all. And we receive this grace by faith, faith alone. The gospel message. As you become more and more rooted and established in the message of Jesus, that it's Jesus plus nothing is our everything. And as you grow in understanding that truth, then it becomes easier and easier to spot the counterfeits with promises of Jesus and something more and someone else, something else. Friends, nothing more than Jesus is needed. In Christ, our confidence is complete. C.S. Lewis captured well in the weight of glory, he wrote, he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God alone. In Christ, our confidence is complete. 
I'll conclude with this encouragement. We have a potted plant of flowers on our back deck. And uh, I got it for my wife for Mother's Day, you know, that's great, great gift, guys. Um, well, the other day, we came out into the porch, my wife pointed out that the flowers were not looking so good. They were drooping everywhere, it was just looked in sorry shape. I, I bought those. And, uh, and so she took the pot and she moved it to a spot on our deck where we would get full sun. Gave it some water. I came back a couple hours later. I was stunned. I was absolutely stunned. This plant that looked so sorry and droopy a couple moments ago is looking healthy and full and all the petals are open and all the leaves and stems, everything's extending upward, just embracing the light. And I thought to myself, what a perfect picture. What a perfect picture of how we as a follower of Jesus are to respond to the gospel that we are to bask in its light, to soak up its nourishment. And as a result, it emboldens us and it strengthens us where we are confident, rooted, and established in Jesus. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, Lord, this is what we need. Lord, we need to be rooted, established, confident in you, and Lord, for the places, the times, the moments, God, the seasons of our life where we've fallen captive to the wrong thinking and we've watched as everything got shipped out in our life and started to get ruined. Lord, would you bring us back? Would you begin to restore, to renew through your gospel our trust in you? Lord, some of us have fallen captive for longer than we would like to admit. And God, we need to turn to you in this moment. Allow ourselves to be confronted with the reality of your truth again and to embrace it. Lord, some of us in here, we may not even feel like that yet. But Lord, we know in our hearts that that's the direction that we need to go. That's the direction that you want to pull us into. And so, Lord, I pray that we would make the commitment and to trust in your Holy Spirit to move us to that point. Lord, we want to trust in you this morning. Move and take this message deeper and further than we could ever hope. We pray that in your name. Amen.